thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Good morning, church. Um, I'm conscious that there's a few people in the congregation here who I knew before I came to faith. I don't quite know how that makes me feel, to be honest with you, but it's great. It's great to see you all here today and just really conscious of the goodness of God in this place today and, and his presence amongst us. And, and when that's the case, it's because he wants to do something amongst us in this place today. Yeah, But we have a part to play in that. We can't kind of... Uh, I don't think he wants us to be passive about that. I think he wants us to just open our hearts, open our minds to him so that he can do eternal work in our heart today. I would love if I leave this place today having had some eternal work done in my heart, something that will stand the test of time, but will help me as I step out into this crazy world that surrounds me. So if you're, if you're open to that, I, I believe always that, that Jesus is willing to meet you in that place, to change you from glory to glory. Yeah. Hallelujah. He is good. So today we're carrying on looking at the Mountain Message series, um, and it's my privilege to look at Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 to 5. Um, which is all about judging, yeah, all about judging. And so I'll just read this to us first, and then we'll, we'll get into what I believe the Lord wants us to hear today. So Matthew 7 and verse 1, do not judge, NIV, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Well, all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Hallelujah. Okay. We thank God for his words. Who made you my judge? <laughs> have those words ever tumbled out of our mouth or have we ever been in a conversation where those words are being used? I was trying to think about whatever context um, it would be if those words were used. And is it usually in a loving, genteel moment when those words are used? We usually our arms around each other and we're encouraging each other. Or are those words usually used when there's some kind of conflict or, or pushing against something? Which one is it? 
It's often when there's conflict, isn't there? I read this somewhere, and it might be true. Uh, It could well be true, but Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged, is fast replacing John 3, 16 as the most quoted passage of Scripture in this time and in this generation. And that tells us something about the world that we live in, doesn't it? It tells us something about... I mean, I could just go on all day about what it is that we're seeing happening around us. And, you know, you don't want to turn on the news. Who stopped watching news at 10 and news at 6 and turned off notifications on their phone? It's just crazy. You know, we we feel like we've overcome one thing and then another thing comes and then another thing comes. And I don't think we have the bandwidth to cope with everything that's going on around us. I don't think that's the way that Jesus has created us. But we live in this world that there's so much conflict so much contention over almost everything. People are diametrically opposed. And judging is one of the biggest things that's working in our world today, people making judgments. And I've had my head in this subject for the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing. And as I was driving down here today um, from Kendall, there, there was a car that was plumb in the middle of the road. There was no hazard lights on. They had their lights on, but they were just sitting there. And I drove and there was oncoming traffic and it was causing a lot of trouble. I was like, and my hand went to go to the, and I was like, judge not. (laughs) And I kind of pulled out, went around, and then my mind was like, well, maybe there's something going on there that isn't great. They're not just being in the middle of the road, yeah? And all the way down, it was just like I could feel my brain kind of wrestling with all these thoughts where I'm just so quickly predisposed to judging, yeah? As soon as I meet someone, forming judgments. As soon as I see a situation or hear something, forming judgments. It's part of the way that God has wired us up, but it's what we do with those judgments and where it's landing in our hearts, that's the real nub of what we're going to be talking about today. But it's important that we get a handle on what judging is, how God sees judgment, and what part we play in the realization of that. These five verses that we're considering... have something very important to say, has something very important to say into our hearts today. Whether we admit it or not, we all engage in judging from time to time. And some people have even made it their lifestyle to judge others by their own standards. Jesus says, Do not judge. But does that mean that all judgment is wrong? Does that mean that all judgment is wrong? No, is the answer. Okay? There are many occasions in the Bible where Christians are called on to exercise judgment over others. And I'll quickly go through some. And if you're making notes, you may want to capture the passages. So 1 Corinthians 5. In 1 Corinthians 12, here Paul judges a man guilty of fornication with his father's wife. He condemns the man and his actions and calls on the church to do the same. He's exercising judgment. 1 John 4, verses 1 to 6, believers are commanded to judge statements of preachers and teachers to see if they line up with the word of God and the teachings of the gospel. 
exercise judgment. Matthew 7, 15 to 20. We are obligated to examine the fruit of those around us and base our fellowship with that person on what we see in their life. That's Matthew 7, 15 to 20. Exercise judgment. Matthew 18, 15 to 18. There are times when the church must exercise discipline against a wayward member. This will require judging their fruits according to the word of God. So if we dismiss judgment altogether and we say, we should not judge, our church does not judge, then I don't want to be part of your church. Okay? I'm a person that does not judge. Well, that's up to you. But the scripture's clear. In the Old Testament, God created judges and magistrates to exercise judgment, yeah? That's God-ordained judgment that's required in order for society to work well. When judgment is removed, society goes to the wall. And we can see examples of that around the world, where people just do not respect the fact that there's police, there's authority, and they reject that altogether, and without judgment, it goes wrong. So judgment is required. It is a part of who we are called to be. But where is it coming from? To judge means to pronounce judgment, to express strong disapproval or harsh criticism. It's often fault-finding when it's not a right judgment. It can be picky it has a habit of voicing criticism. It can be mean. It can be critical. And judgment, when it really gets hold of someone's heart and it's not godly judgment, only sees the bad in others. I'm asking you all, within the sound of my voice today, to be brave. Okay, not only brave in terms of working out your walk before God, but brave enough to think, okay, God, is this, is this me? It'd be much easier if we came to that conclusion ourselves. It's really quite painful for someone else to point it out to us. But in the privacy of this moment between you and God, be brave. Is this me? Can this be me? Is this sometimes me? Because often, when it comes to judging, Christians are the most guilty. And I'm, I'm, I was trying to think about why that might be the case, why we can often be the most guilty of judging, um, often seen as the most judgmental group of people that there are. And I'm trying to think why... Why that would be, why is that perception there, why is that couched in some truth? I think that partly it comes from, I remember when I came to faith, there was a very clear time where I, it, it was obvious to me that the Lord had taken the scales from my eyes. I could, I can see clear, it was, I can see clearly now, I can so with that clarity, we're able to observe things which, with more confidence. We see things and we kind of can discern between good and evil, what is right and wrong, much more than we ever used to, possibly. 
But then armed with that knowledge, if we are not careful and if we are not walking well with the Lord, he doesn't take that revelation from us, but what we do, we turn that into a point of bitterness and criticism of other people. I think that God has shown us things, and if we don't handle that well and walk well with the Lord, then that can be a critical spirit, and it's death. It is death. It's death to people that are seeking the kingdom of God. If they feel that, if they hear that, it's death to relationships. It's death to friendships. It's death to a community if we feel that level of judgment around us. Does this make sense? Be brave. Be brave. So Jesus is talking about looking at people and attempting to judge their motives and their real spiritual condition based on what we see in their lives. The idea here is that the judge presumes to know the condition of another person's heart. He sets himself up as judge and jury and proclaims the guilt and innocence on all of those around him. And it's this attitude that Jesus condemns. I go as far as to say he hates it. Whenever he refers to hypocrites, it's often when he's at his most angry and his most kind of coming against the spirit of this worldness. <laughs> I know that's not a word, but you know what I mean. Yeah? When he says hypocrites, you can almost feel him punching that word out as if like this is, this is the biggest offense to me. I remember seeing something on LinkedIn where it was a very simple diagram of a little dot on a big circle. And it said, you make your judgments about me based on what you see in me, but you only see this little dot. Yeah? I'm actually this big circle. Yeah? The other day, um, Naomi, our seven-year-old daughter, and I, we, we live in um, Kendall, and we live close to um, Max and Spencer's in Kendall. I know that's a sore point for people in Barrow. Um, and uh, <laughs> virtually every time I'm around my mum, she'll mention, but Ulverston. And so, um, and bizarrely, we saw Marks and Spencer's trolley outside of our front door, like 500 yards from Marks and Spencer's. So I was thinking, Naomi and I were going for, taking her for a bike ride, and I was thought, this is, a, this is a good learning moment for Naomi and I. Naomi, you and I shall take this trolley back to Marks and Spencer's. And I was all kind of feeling rather self-righteous about it all. This is, this is what the good member of our community would do. And I started to push it, and then all of a sudden I realized that people were looking at me thinking, what's he doing with the Marks and Spencer's trolley? Oh, what on earth? I can't believe it. And all of a sudden I could feel like these, it wasn't major, it wasn't too destructive, just a little bit. Hurry up, Naomi, we've got to go quickly. <laughs> But could just feel this. But in my heart, my whole motivation about it was being a good citizen. <laughs> yeah. But what other people would see was this guy who's pushing a trolley 500 yards away from Marks and Spencer's. And what on earth? Yeah. And so that does happen. Yeah. But your responsibility, and I had great confidence in the fact that I was doing my civic duty. So that, although we did it quicker than we should have done, that got me to the end. But we should take great confidence in the fact that if we live and we breathe and we find our being before the audience of one that is Jesus Christ, 
then if that is our focus, really it doesn't ultimately matter what other people think about us. Yeah? Because at the end of all things, you won't be in front of them giving an account. The person that sets himself up as the judge of others will himself, as the scripture says, himself, herself, face judgment someday as we all will. And God will use the same yardstick that we use to judge others to judge us. That's quite a scary thought. This is why I'm asking you to be brave because I don't want that day to be tough. Tough is probably understating it. That day when we all meet him, yeah? The way that we have lived our life today. So as you go out of here today and you hear, you know, we worship and we hear the word of God. As you go out, the hope always is that God does something majestic in you that changes you from the inside out with the hope that on that great day, you will not be disappointed. And so the way that we operate with one another in this place will have a direct correlation to what happens on that day. The way that you live your life as you walk out the door today, in your interactions with people, in your love for one another, will have a direct impact on what, hap- what happens on that great day. Um, you've probably heard this illustration before, so forgive me. There's a, an old, old English preacher called Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, I think it's 1800, something like that. And... Um, Spurgeon said this in one of his sermons. He said, when we get to heaven, there'll be three surprises. Forgive me if you heard this already. First surprise is that we are there. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. Second surprise is who is there. Yeah, we might get some shocks as to who is in heaven. The third surprise is who isn't there. I wonder if the who isn't there are those that are in the church Look, I say this carefully, maybe even sitting amongst us today. Those that are in the church, but are living this life of a critical spirit that is destructive to the kingdom of God, and it's never been checked, it's never been challenged, and they've never been brave enough to look in the mirror and say, that's me, God, I need your help. Choose you this day, yeah. Choose you this day. Just some scriptures to kind of uh, reinforce. James 3, I'll go through these quite quickly. Uh, Verses 1 to 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James 2.13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Let me say that again. Because judgment without mercy, this is Jesus speaking to you and I. I will exercise judgment over you without mercy if you have not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then Luke 7, 37 to 38 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. 
Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then in Galatians 6, 7, it says, a man reaps what he sows. In other words, when we judge another person, judge them harshly, judge them outside of the heart of God, we will eventually reap what we sow. But it's one of the biggest challenges that we face, isn't it? How do I, how do I live? It almost seems utopian. How do I float through life? How do I walk through this life without being touched by judging other people? Yeah, and making these harsh judgments. And we'll come to that. We'll come to what I believe the Lord has to say to us in its entirety in a moment. But sometimes we judge and we don't have all the facts. Invariably, we don't have all the facts anyway. And we still exercise judgment. Just a story. Um, an owner of a manufacturing plant who decided to make a surprise tour of the shop... He was walking through the warehouse. He noticed a young man just lazily leaning up against some packing crates with his hands in his pocket, doing nothing. The boss walked up to him and angrily said, just how much are you paid every week? The young man's eyes got rather big and he said, 300 pounds. Well, the boss said, pulling out his wallet, got 300 pounds out, gave it to him. He said, here's a week pay. Now get out of here and never come back. Well, without a word, the young man stuffed the money in his pocket and took off. The warehouse manager was standing there in amazement. The boss walked over to him and said, tell me, how long has that guy been working for us? The manager says, he didn't work here. He was just delivering a parcel. <laughs> he exercised judgment, didn't he? He thought he had all the information. Lazy, young scoundrel. It's always young men. Why is that? And he's happy. He's leaving with his 300 pounds. Yeah. Be careful. Be careful how quick we judge. But there is a challenge to you and I in this place today. There is a challenge. When we judge another, we also do, from a, do so from a warped perspective. Jesus uses the image of a, a log sticking out of um, his eye, of the man's eye, trying to help remove the splinter from another's eye. The word mote refers to a dry twig or a piece of chaff. We might call it a splinter. The word beam refers to a load-bearing beam in a house. Literally, you know, you could just imagine it, this huge thing in this person's eye. And as they look around, whoosh, they just take everyone out. And if you've ever, if you've ever been around someone that has kind of stepped into that particularly destructive gifting of being 
critical of everything. Sometimes people just have a moment where it's like everything is a criticism. When you've been, if you're around that person, it's like duck and cover, isn't it? It's like you don't know what to say and you can just see swathes of things being knocked over in their path. And it's actually meant to be a humorous image, but actually in reality, when criticism and judging is fully unleashed, it is really destructive. Yeah? And the sense is that this person's um, view is dominated by the speck when actually they're not taking any notice of this big thing that they're lugging around with them. The idea is that when that person is looking at someone else's life and their faults, they are blinded to their own faults. You see, if my heart was pure and holy as the Lord desires, it would not be focused on criticizing and condemning for failure. It wouldn't. I would instead want to pray for that individual. I wouldn't want to tear them down. I wouldn't want to leave my mark. I wouldn't want them to to finally just get it once and for all. I'd be wanting to see how I can build them up and encourage them and show them the goodness of God. You see, the problem with judging others is that we are often guilty of the same or worse sins ourselves. Ouch. Would any of us even acknowledge that? I'm not saying you need to. To me, I'm talking about before God. Jesus is saying that the sin of the critic is greater than the sin of the person being judged. And when we talk about the flaw that is visible in someone's life, we reveal a canyon in our own life. And we are revealing a heart that lacks genuine love for our neighbor, which is one of the first things that God calls us to do. Yeah. And if we're not loving our neighbor, then there's a question as to whether we are walking with God at all. It's fairly clear in scripture. Another story, there was a lady in an airport who bought a book. It's the American family here today. It's family from America. Were they from Kansas? No, where was it? Virginia, sorry. I'm gonna, the, the story has biscuits in, but I'm gonna do cookies, okay? Just to, yeah. Uh, see, it's just the message it keeps on giving, yeah? Okay, um, so there was a lady in an airport who, who bought a book to read and a pack of cookies to eat while she was waiting for a plane. Well, after she'd taken a seat in the terminal and began to read her book, she noticed that the man sitting one seat away from her was fumbling to open up the package of cookies on the seat between them. Well, she could hardly believe her eyes that a stranger would just open her bag of cookies and eat them. Can you imagine? How offended the British would be in that moment. We would be so offended, but so passive-aggressive, you just wouldn't know it. It's like... (laughs) He took one and ate it, 
And she was now getting really frustrated, quite angry. She reached into the bag and took one and ate it herself. Well, the man didn't say anything. There's a whole lot of nonverbal communication going on here. He just reached over and took another cookie. The woman thought to herself that she wasn't going to let him eat all the cookies, so she took another one herself. And when they finally, finally got down to one cookie, the man broke it in half, ate his half, glared at the woman, got up and left. The lady could not believe this man's nerve. She was thinking to herself, who would even do something like that? And then went into a whole kind of thing as what she'd do if the scenario happened again in the future, which wasn't particularly godly thinking. Soon the announcement came to board the plane. The lady got on the plane, still really angry at the audacity of this man, men, hey, sat down, buckled her seatbelt, reached into her purse for a tissue, and there was her bag of cookies. So all along, <laughs> she had been in the wrong. She was exercising harsh judgment to the person. She had a huge log going on here. And she thought thoughts. She acted in a way. She was steaming. And she had the cookies all along. It was him that should have been cross. I think he was. He probably coming away thinking, what on earth was all that about? <laughs> I think he did rather well, to be honest with you. Kudos to the man. Um, so we have to be careful when exercising judgment. And we'll bring this to a close in a moment. Jesus uses strong language when referring to a person that isn't judging according to his will and his way. As we said, he calls them hypocrites. And what, what the, the Sermon on the Mount is about, and sometimes we can often miss this, is that it could easily, if we wanted to, be seen as a self-help guide, okay? A list of this is what the Christian life looks like, which it is, right? But one thing that we often miss is that that's what the Christian life looks like, but it's not something that you can do alone. If you purpose in your heart not to judge, you may last about 17 minutes, and you'll work really hard at it, then all of a sudden you'll default into being judged. It's just the human nature and the human heart. Because it's not a self-help principle that we're talking about here. The whole Sermon of the Mount, or the Sermon on the Mount, is about what it looks like when the power of God works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It talks about what it looks like if you are surrendered to God and given over to him completely, that then he gives you the power to live that way. And if we find ourselves being increasingly judgmental, it may mean that, imagine this is the Lord here, that we are drifting away from him and allowing our eyes to be focused on the things of this world rather than the things of his kingdom that we are investing more times in the worries of this life than we are in praising and praying and spending time with him. The further we get away from Jesus, the harder it is for us to realize what the call is upon our lives through the Sermon of the Mount. 
We have to remain close to him. We can only do this with his help and with the move of his spirit within us. And we get so distracted. Our mind gets taken away from God. But you're sitting here today in church, in the right place, and Jesus is with us, and he wants in the next few moments to do a work in your heart. You see, when someone makes a right judgment into your life that's according to the will of God, it is one of the most freeing things you'll ever experience. It strengthens you. It lifts your head. It gives you power to step into the day. You feel like some transaction has happened that's significant. But when we are assaulted by a critical spirit or when we are being critical great damage is done and there'll be people here today that have been subject to critical spirits and and judgments that are not accurate that are still bearing the wounds of that that still motivate the way that you think and and work out your life of faith and I believe that Jesus wants to do some work in that area today But I think for some of us, it's about coming back to him and you once again. Our hearts must be right before God. In this age, in this time, in this place, there is no room for cultural Christians. We can't. We can't be lukewarm. We can't be half-hearted. We can't kind of be in and, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I think I'm going to heaven. That will do and then get on with our life as it is because it'll be too painful. There'll be too much that comes your way. We need the fullness of Jesus in us now in this place so that we can face everything that we are facing. But our hearts must be right before God. And in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says this in closing, through to 21. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. I'm rejecting every word of criticism that's been spoken over you in the name of Jesus. Every wrong judgment, every word that's come your way that still bears a mark today, that's causing some of you to limp, that's causing some of you to stutter, I reject that. In Jesus' name, you are a new creation. If you have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the old is gone. Behold the new
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. If your heart has been wandering, if your feet have taken you in a different way, and you know, you know. It's no one else's business, but you know, yeah? God is calling you to be reconciled to him today that is restored to him today, to come back into friendship with him today, to have harmony with him today so that he can do that work of restoration in your heart in this place. Brothers and sisters, there's no other time than now. This is all that we know that we have, yeah? This is all that we know that we have. And like Joshua says, choose you this day. Get right today. Let go of some stuff today. So that you can take hold of the big stuff. So you can take hold of Jesus today. Paul the Apostle said, not Paul the Apostle, David um, in Psalm 51 talks about creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Yeah. And um, as I was driving down today, and I'm finished. As I was driving down today, I decided to listen to Keith Green. Anyone heard of Keith Green? If you haven't, try and get hold of it. I mean, it's an amazing story, Keith Green, but if you listen to Keith Green for about half an hour, you'll get pumped. You'll be like, right, okay, I need to let go of some stuff. I need to take hold of some good stuff. God, I'm yours. I love you. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I was listening to that, and I asked the guys to... Um, play a song um, by Keith Green. So we're going to have that now and then I'll close us out. Thank you.